You're listening to Real Conversations with Jacob Young. Real Conversations is sponsored by Boys Town, saving children, healing families for over 100 years. They're literally changing lives every single day. Please go to boystown.org to find out how you can help support Boys Town. And while you're at the site, be sure to check out all the free parenting tips they offer. RCJY is also sponsored by Lane Frost Brand, made for the champion in you. They have amazing hats, hoodies, and so much more. Something for the whole family. Go to lanefrost.com and, hey, be sure to use Jacob 15. You'll save 15% on anything and everything. Lane Frost brand. My guest this week has been a staple in movies and television for four decades. Some of his classic films include comedies like Funny Farm, Uncle Buck, and, of course, Dumb and Dumber. His iconic dramas include Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas and appearing opposite Johnny Depp's acclaimed performance in Ed Wood. On television, it would be a shorter list to name the TV shows that he hasn't guest starred on. Starting in the 1980s to today, everything from Young and the Restless to Chicago Fire, he's that person that when you see him on screen, you point and you say, oh, I love that guy. My guest this week is the talented Mike Starr. You know what time it is. It's time to keep it real with Real Conversations with Jacob Young. Mike, thanks for joining me today. <laughs> wow, what an intro. Can't say anything. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting to hear also um, about uh, Boyce Town and what that will I hope people take advantage of that. I'm going to have to think of it, especially the 15% discount. You know? Oh, absolutely. That sounds great. That's really uh, very moving. It's uh, an honor to be here. I'm very humbled. Well, we are honored for sure in the audience. Thank you. You're a working actor, meaning you are consistently working. How did you get the bug to want to appear in front of the camera? Well, I didn't think you were going to ask a tough question like that. No, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it, it, uh, God, where does a person really want to start doing it? I, I was the uh, youngest of four brothers, and uh, we watched, and I would watch the era I grew up, uh, as I had lived in Goodfellas. <laughs> but the era I grew up was, uh, of course, uh, post-World War, post-Korean War, actually, uh, and a lot of you know the World War II movies and TV shows were all over the place, mostly Westerns. It's funny. Uh, I talked to old-school cowboys and stuntmen out West, and they said, Boy, all you New Yorkers, it's your dream to be in a cowboy movie, isn't it? I got on one on I and I said, yes. And uh, one of my big influences, the first film I did, I got to be uh, close to Richard Boone, who's an icon uh, for so many reasons. But I'm wondering, I remember as a kid, you know, because people play all the time. And uh, even I worked with an actor, Kent Broadhurst, who's also a brilliant portrait artist. And we did a of Mice and Men in Philly, and he told me, he grew exactly opposite from me, opposite, uh, 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 grew up, I should say. I grew up in a working class housing project, really nice place in Queens where there were a lot of people and played all sorts of games. And they even did a, a documentary on uh, not only that project, but New York City, New York yeah. street games. And people made things up. He said he grew up, I believe it was Nebraska and was like alone. So he had to use his imagination. So it, it varies. I think every. I've got, I don't know how many people grow up and we could get into cultural anthropology, like who was the storyteller of the group or whatever. Yeah. You had a lot of that, but I'm trying to think, I remember one key moment was watching, uh, on the waterfront 
about oh, 15 years old, you great. know, yeah. and all the characters. And I remember doing homework and looking in the mirror and doing <laughs> an impersonation or something. <laughs> yeah. Doing Steiger. And the nice thing that happened was uh, Joe Papp of the Public Theater. If you get a chance to see the PBS documentary on him, it's so unique and interesting stuff I didn't know. But he uh, brought Shakespeare in the park, but he also brought it around to neighborhoods. Uh-huh. So I got to see James Earl Jones, Roscoe Lee Brown, Governor Salt, and um, Cleavon Little. Yeah. I remember. And I saw this live theater. I said, wow, I'd like to do that too. You know, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I just wasn't making the grade in grammar school as far as uh, acting. And then finally in high school, for different reasons, uh, we tried to do a drama club and different reasons. Um, I uh, Something physical happened. I couldn't. Uh, I was barred from playing sports for a few years. Uh, they thought I had something, whatever it was, but I couldn't get cleared. So I'd fool around and I'd do pep rallies. And this, I was a sophomore, and the senior said to me, "You know, there's a um, Catholic girls' school. They don't have any. We need you to do a small part." And my brother, Bo Star, <laughs> you're like, was, "Hey, girls, uh, and act, fantastic!" Yes, yeah. <laughs> and now I was going to Tylenol um, Holy Cross High School in Queens. Uh, uh, Catholic school and said, yeah, okay. We, so I played Dr. Glass and uh, Carnival, Carnival, whatever, yeah. and improvised a little stuff and got some laughs. So my brother comes, Bo Star, and he was with the Jets at the time and uh, trying to play on the taxi squad, this and that, and he said, this is what you're going to do. I said, no, 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 I'm going to get cleared up. I'm going to play football. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll be, get into be the local congressman or something, but I, I can do some theater at school. He goes, no, no, this is what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. You've got what's called charisma. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Let me look that word up. <laughs> and I wound up doing more stuff and talent shows at, in high school. And uh, the funny thing is there was a fellow, Mike Abel. He said, Mike, I need you to help me do this talent show. I said, yeah, yeah, but I'm not going to be an actor. I'm going to, I want to be a council, whatever I thought I was going to do. And I was working with kids in the projects and this and that. We go all over in sports and, <laughs> and wound up. Mike wanted to be the actor. He wound up being a Queens councilman and I wound up being an actor. You guys re- you right. switched roles there. We just reversed. Yeah, I remember <laughs> seeing it. I said, holy. But uh, uh, my brother ambushed me out at uh, Hofstra University uh, where the Jets were training. I went with my dad to see my brother and um, – one of the heads of the drama department, Carol Seeker, who became a mentor, and her mentor was Dr. Miriam Tulin, who was from my, from the group theater and possibly the Yiddish theater. I can't remember. But anyway, then there was this actress, Lynn Ann Leverage, who went on to do a lot in uh, mm-hmm. soaps, and she, I think, got Actress of the Year that year, something after my freshman year. But they sat and um, told me about this drama corps program. And I said, okay, uh, yeah, I was very polite. But I was going to do plays, you know. I saw um, one of my idols, uh, Tank Pasuelo, God rest so Al Pasuelo is an interesting story, and I went to watch him in Born Yesterday at Hofstra. And Hofstra had this 1,100-seat theater in the 90s. Then he the Brian Dennehy's brother, Ed Dennehy, before mm-hmm. Brian was acting, and they yeah. had all these, in this nationally known program in the world, and I said, oh, this is fun. I like this. So I'm sitting there, and my brother goes, after they leave, says, what do you think? I said, what do I think about what? The drama club program, being a drama. I said, what do you mind? <laughs> Me with, like, you know, actors or whatever. I didn't know. You know, I said, he goes, hey, schmuck. <laughs> this is how my brother talked to me. He was, my dad wasn't hard on me. He was the, the tough one. He goes, hey, schmuck. 
They don't have anyone like you, anyone that comes from where we come from, anyone who talks like you or anything <laughs> like you. Said if you you take the minimum amount of credits, if you're any good, you're going to get a full scholarship for four years. Yeah. Next thing I knew, I was in tights and doing uh, yeah. Carl Martha's dance class, World War II veteran who taught me about uh, moving on stage. And, yeah. And uh, well, so, so nice let me thing. let me ask you: you were that you were so, you were all like you love these shows already, but yeah, you were like opposed to be joining the drama club. You were like, that's not. Uh, well, drama major because we had a huge department. Turns out I was lucky. And still, uh, my friend, best friend, best friend Brian Rose, he still coaches me. And he's a professor and he's an author and he had a successful acting career. And we became friends in freshman year and we're still together. And a lot of people really went on to do well from Hofstra. Yeah. And it was a tough program. I don't think I've had as many strict rules of discipline in any of I've worked. Been fortunate to work some on Broadway and and like you mentioned the films and this and that. I'll tell you, they were strict at Hofstra. Yeah, no smoking in costume. Not that it was big smoking. No eating in costume. No sitting with food in the theater. I mean, they were really yeah, they were pretty strict. You know, for a school that was a university program. But I thought I'd be a poli sci major and do plays. Mm-hmm. And I, on the if you know the actor Peter Friedman, who's just excellent mm-hmm. on Successions. Yes, he was the only person that was in shows that was allowed. He was a psych major and uh, he was just very special. And uh, I got to see him on and off over the years. He, wait, but, he was uh, the only one that allowed, allowed to do what? Well, what happens is now I believe in the last 20, 30 years, Syracuse and all these theater programs. I, I think you, if you want to be on the main stage, you want to act in plays, you got to be a drop. You have to commit to being a theater major. I ah, think I see. So at the time, I don't remember anyone else, so I thought I'd be a poli sci major and do plays. Hey, that'll be fun, you know. Hey, kids, you know, get the barn. Hey, I can get the the paint. And uh, but that's all I remember is that if I'm correct, that Peter was a psych major, but everyone else was a drama major. There were performance majors there, like my friend Brian was a drama lit major, the most well read person I know. Drama, um, and uh, there were all sorts of. Um, this drum, some movement. There were tech majors. We had a great technical department. Still, people like uh, what's that? That mu- that uh, yeah, it's a musical about uh, the people that was stuck in nine eleven in um, in Newfoundland. Away, mm-hmm. away, up and away, was it away. Well, my friend Arturo Parazzi is the stage manager. We turned out a lot of Broadway stage managers and backstage technicians throughout the country, and uh, it was a really good program. I mean. Uh, I was so lucky that my brother forced me. He was my stage mother. Then I got to do the reverse to him in the eighties. Got to be his <laughs> his counsel, and uh, we were in, we wound up being in about six films together. And uh, oh, yeah. he had a really super career. Yeah, and nice. he played the dad in Goodfellas. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay, yes. I had to tell Bob that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> months and uh, uh, which is a funny story. How I watched my uh, kids. Uh, for my wife's finals in med school, <laughs> I got him in Goodfellas, you know, as extras. And uh, my brother's goddaughter, my youngest, Nicole, he, she was there giving him a hard time. It was funny. And she wound up sitting on Lorraine Bracco's lap, and Lorraine Bracco taught it a count to ten in about eight languages. <laughs> but anyway, so I, you see, I, uh, I do more than digress. But basically what happened was I started learning. An interesting thing happened in my freshman year. We all had to go up and do monologues in this one place and um, mm-hmm. 
trying to remember. Maybe it was in the below in the theater where we had the dance, uh, the, the movement classes. And uh, Dr. Miriam Tulin said, uh, listen, this young man right now could, and I hope this doesn't sound self-serving or narcissistic. I'll bring it, baby. It's, uh, it's obnoxious, but from Dr. Tulin's words, as I remember, said this, okay, Michael here, this young man up here, <laughs> we were all like whatever, 18, whatever, different, you know, ages around that, said uh, he uh, he doesn't need to come and study acting if, if he wanted to be in film and TV. He's, and I think, that, well, you know, sometimes we call them naturals. I, you almost like <laughs> nowadays re- reject it when people come to you and say, well, you know, I train, but you're a natural, Mike. I go, okay, okay. Yeah. So anyway, but, uh, but... I think that's interesting for people, though, that, you know, they see you, you know, on these TV shows, see you in the films, to know that you have such an extensive theater background and training. Like, you just, you just as an outsider, you never really see yeah. that far. And I think that's a really interesting fact for fans of yours tem- to know about. Yeah. Well, it temporarily worked against us. What happened, uh, Dr. Tulin continued to say, God rest so long, uh, uh, she said he could work right now because he's comfortable. We were doing, you know, I would do these models very comfortably, whatever, I guess, and he could work in film. But he's chosen to want to learn the theater. So we're going to have to teach him how to be on stage, which was interesting because, I mean, some people can, without trying, I'm not saying people can't get on a stage and act, but you really, um, when you see the level of people like a Nathan Lane and a Matthew Broderick, you know, that I was lucky to be around, uh, Mm -hmm. you see them, you go, no, this, it is something different going on there at their level, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, I got to work with them and, and, you know, you just, that that's a very special, um, and they also are wonderful in film and TV. I don't mean to take anything away from that. It's just mm-hmm. it's just that I think you can put anyone if you get relaxed enough on stage. I know it sounds crazy. Team, I I believe that uh, with practice, anyone can do film. I, that sounds if that doesn't sound to a degree. You know what I mean? I'm not sure. talking about to the level of uh, Viola Davis or Gene Hackman or something like that. Yeah. But I think training can be really important. Um, uh, but what happened was you don't realize as a like if you just say, hey, I've done high school plays, you don't realize uh, how, um, how important is that. For instance, I remember one of our teachers, uh, Mr. Kramer, Richard Kramer, was a designer. He told me that tall actors tend to slope down, you know? Yeah. And when I first started out, you know, people said, oh, no, you're not going to work. Oh, you're too tall. You know, uh, you work on a stage, be a character guy. This guy will want you to, you know. And then you would hear stories about film actors that didn't want guys too tall, unless you're playing <laughs> the bad guy and you get beat up this and that, whatever it is. You know, a lot of times we'll get to play Lenny. But there's so much that goes into being aware on stage. And I had done, you had mentioned Robert De Niro before when we were talking of camera. Robert De Niro uh, at Tribeca would have readings uh, in in the 90s, and I was lucky enough to be part of it. My friend Todd Thaler set me up. Actually, Mad Dog and Glory, I was an audition. It just came out of a reading of a script, Richard Price's, and they went, well, no, he'd be right for it. <laughs> but it's not like I sit there, hey, let me show him this. Hey, that, 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 that. But uh, he would have various readings. Like um, we did Hoffa, um, 
we did a big reading of it, mm-hmm. and uh, Danny DeVito, uh, you know, got to hear the parts. It doesn't mean you're going to be in it. So that was most of the only live stage I did for years. And then, of all people, I found out Nathan Lane, when uh, Brad Garrett wanted to leave, uh, he did a few months of The Odd Couple playing Oscar. Right, I remember. Uh, yeah, and then Brad came back later on and uh, covered sometimes uh, as Oscar and whatnot. And he was just excellent. So he was playing Murray, and he wanted to leave. So I found out later on, which he tried to deny, and then went, oh, yeah, the last day. I said, yeah, it's true. I found that that Nathan had requested me, and I got I got to do it, but I hadn't been on stage in so long. So my friend Brian, I mentioned before, Dr. Brian Rose, I said, he, I got him a ticket. I said, can you just watch me? Not that he had to direct me. I don't mean that. You know, it's like I had four or five days to learn it. Yeah. And wow. Joe, Joe, such a great, you know, until it's just a great director. He started, I said, can you just tell me? And there were things like, he had to remind me, you got to find something to do with your hands, man. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. You know, there's things you forget, right. you know, it sounds crazy, but this. So you had only four days. Did they give you, an, did they give you any put-ins? Did you get to like, do like a, a full rehearsal with everybody? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, everyone. Everybody gets that. I mean, I did that yeah. when I was on Broadway, and thank God because I almost you were like telling me about that. Yeah, yeah, right. I was scared out of my mind after I put the costume well, on. It's got to be tougher with singing. Oh well, I, the singing I wasn't worried about. It was the lighting the hands up. Yeah, I played Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I mean, it was gas lines. I had to, like I had this big, you know, huge wig that was hairsprayed. I thought I was gonna like you know light the entire house on fire. Well, you know what's funny too is you found when you got that. Uh, I had trained, again, we had a small theater in Hofstra. We had the black box. We had this and that. We had an 1,100-seat theater, and you had to hit the back of the wall. Yeah. And I'm forgetting a lot of times that there might be stages now. So Joe Joe would always say to me, he says, Mike, you got this. Just relax. And my friend Rob Bartlett, who does a lot of shows and also has written on big shows, used to, uh, I mean, He's written on everything from Imus to, uh, you know, radio shows. I don't know. Uh, nationally, people should know him. But uh, he he did a lot of Broadway shows, and he used to tell me, Mike, whenever you relax, it's excellent, you know. But I had to learn a lot. I had to settle into it because I, I had five days to learn the lines. I don't know how much time you had. I got a call. I was doing a, an indie in California, and I came back. And it was funny. We were living in Chicago. Then eventually my wife got this big position in Newark and we moved to, to Jersey. So I was able able to commute from Jersey eventually, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. they brought me in. Uh, actually, this is Chicago. It's wild. But uh, I found I never got a chance to do theater when we were living in Chicago. My wife was working at the University of Chicago Hospital. And I, I, I just... Uh, just what you said. I mean, I didn't have to deal with wigs and all of that and singing, but I found when I did gradually relax more and more, it's, it's almost a regret because I said, what the hell was I pushing so hard for? But yeah, right. You feel you got to stay with it, you know? And, uh, and then, uh, the dangerous thing is I'm one of those guys when they tell you such and such is out there in the audience. Is it, why'd you tell me yeah, that? Why'd you why tell me you, that? <laughs> why did you, it's like I'm playing the one person now. Yeah. Oh, De Niro and Kaitella there tonight. Oh, like, wow. Make Bob laugh, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's interesting, but you, you gradually, when you see someone again, both 
the whole cast was excellent. So I'm not, I didn't mean to single it or whatever, but, uh, but I use Nathan and Matthew because you see, I mean, different people, different styles, this and that, but a way of, uh, way of, uh, being on stage, I mean, well, Nathan, Nathan is just something special because it's like uh, I used to tell people it'd be like playing with uh, if it's football playing with Joe Montana or Brady. You better step up your game. Sure, and I'm not that doesn't not crap you. I'm just saying that I had uh, more stuff uh, with Nathan, and uh, it's just I don't know when yeah. you, 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 you I guess it makes sense when you. Uh, but but as far as uh, theater, I mean, I wanna. I don't go back to doing more again, but it, it is funny. It's it's just different. You know? It is different. Now, Mike, I mentor I mentor a lot of young students these days, and in, in my other life as a teacher, and surprisingly, many don't know classic Hollywood stars who shaped today's movies. Yeah, what stars of the past should students study if they want to become a film actor actress? Oh, that's a good one. Okay, and first of all, before I forget. One guy I would look at all the time, he's a friend I was going to mention, I, I'd go to see him in plays, and I marveled at how relaxed he was. And I could be sitting up in the balcony and get him with Joe Mantegna. This Joe oh, Mantegna. yeah, 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 of course. Joe has a certain way, and I've worked with him a number of times, and it, it is funny, he has that relaxed He's energy. very smooth, he's very laid back. You no, know, I my friend uh, was teaching a film acting class at uh, Delphi, uh, during the COVID and pandemic or whatever. And I, I went on a zoom and it was so weird to try to tell people because you feel like, uh, <laughs> it's like when my brother and I, I eventually played football at Hofstra a bit, but, uh, my brother was a big star there and we went to an alumni thing and he says, and this God, this goes back about 20 years ago. And we, they took us out in the field and my brother turns to me and goes, I feel like we're world war one soldiers coming. <laughs> <laughs> So I was referencing people. I mean, uh, Brian was referencing people like Dustin Hoffman. Right. You know, and then I didn't know how many knew. I said Gene Hackman, you know, and I guess you could, uh, I mean, how far, how far could you say uh, of actors of certain ages, like a Morgan Freeman, they got to know him. Sure. And, you, would, uh, you would think. You know, yeah. And uh, so when you say Hollywood stars, I mean, how far back? Because it's an interesting question because, you know, I worked on the movie The Natural. I got in by fooling around and clowning like an idiot. And uh, uh, Barry Levinson, God bless him, brought me into ad lib, you know. But it was interesting because on that was Wilford Brim. Of course, we had DeVal and Redford, yeah. who's just the great. Redford, yeah, of course, yeah. But Wilford, we learned he, so much from him. Fantastic but actor, Wilford, too. Yeah, Wilford had this whole character thing. And Robert Duval was good friends with him. And you got to watch different people. But the gem on that, as, as far as history, I mean, everybody. I, and I don't mean like, but the real guy. Would, but people don't know that Richard Farnsworth, who played the coach, <clears throat> had been an actor, had been a stuntman, famous stuntman in the 30s. And all the stuntmen know who he is. And his son, Diamond, uh, to be a famous uh, stunt coordinator. But he had, like... For Gary Cooper, he had done things like that. He wrote and 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 showed me pictures. But he, I had gotten to see this show. If you ever get to see this film, Gray Fox, it's just and I just happened to watch yeah. it in Manhattan a week before I get this job. I go, hey, and he would do. We would do the lines on it. But Richard Farnsworth, uh, uh, along with uh, James Caan, mm-hmm. uh, was in Comes a Horseman. But 
Fonz, Richard Fonsworth did this brilliant thing uh, before he passed um, with Sissy Spacek, where he drives a tractor across the Midwest. I don't know if you know that one. Yeah, I do. But yeah. So I started asking him because he was so great. And he told me the funniest stories about directors thinking he was putting that on. And he'd tell me, Mike, talk like that. He said, you know, said one time, he said, see, back in uh, with Joel McRae, and he'd tell me different people in movies. I'd be like, wow. He said, yeah, I got to be a stagecoach driver, and I get to see oh. one or two lines. And he'd say, and it just started coming natural. But the interesting thing he told me was that, I guess in the 50s, Jason Robards and all these great theater actors were coming out. And people, uh, I mean, from that were training in New York, wherever they were, you know, yeah. the actor studio, whatever. Yeah, like Dean and, and Brando people, and those guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, some people were thrown by cameras, he told me. I'm not saying who. I, mean, I remember him mentioning that Robots was honest with them, that they had to adjust the cameras. Mm. And it's funny, I came out of, uh, when I came out of school and did a lot of crazy things and then decided, oh, I'm getting auditions. And I found myself, Speaking like this at that commercial audition. <laughs> They're like, sir, sir, it's good that you're going there. We can bring you down, but can you bring yeah. it down? Oh, my God. When I saw there was one, it was some beer commercial, Milwaukee or Schaefer beer, uh, some, <laughs> something out of Wisconsin, but it was a national beer that I don't think exists anymore. Something like, uh, I think it was Schaefer or something where they say Gusto, and they're, they're supposed to say, so you want to, and it's supposed to be these kind of tough guys, you know, or jocks going, so you want to take away our Gusto? No, you don't do that. I go in and I read like, so you want to take away our gusto, do you? <laughs> I took this class. I was in equity, uh, the the lounge. Mm -hmm. I joined equity. I wasn't even, I don't think I was in SAG or after yet. And the, for $10 a class, there was this guy, Chris Gamble, and he taught commercials. So I said, I can probably borrow the money from my dad or one of my brothers. <laughs> $10, I went in. I think we had one child at the time. Joanne wasn't even in undergrad school never mind she was a musician when i met her in summer stock but she would never mind not in i mean she got into med school like 11 years after we were married and had three kids but i went in she worked a lot of different jobs but as i did uh but uh i remember taking this class and i saw myself on camera and said holy shit is that what i'm doing and <laughs> i just got to see on a video yeah so that's a big thing like when you teach yeah. if you can show people uh, that, so I think that's a big adjustment. And I sure. had to keep dialing myself down. And, uh, there was a controversial movie, Al Pacino, William Friedkin's cruising in 1979 or 80 was my first New York film. And William Friedkin, who's brilliant and a wild man in a lot of ways, I go to audition and I had to say lines like that too, for the money goes, yeah, that's it, man. That's it. <laughs> look at me. I go, huh? It's Spencer Tracy, man. Yeah. And I was on the set. He cast me and he kept saying, it's Spencer Tracy, man. You are a Zen master. Do you hear me? And there was like crowds demonstrating because people thought it was going to bring on violence, all this stuff. And it, years later, it was considered an interesting film, but it really got panned. But then Europe and Australia is big. And then they, they brought it to Cannes a few years ago. And now it's considered some kind of cult classic. <laughs> But it, I was this cop, and I had to just do little, be still. And he goes, yeah, man, that's it. That's there, it. Are no demons, there is no Vietnam. There is nothing right now. <laughs> you know, whatever. And I was like, you know, yeah. we were talking about Apocalypse Now with Joe Spinell. Sure. Talking to Freakin'. And he said, none of this matters. 
you are a Zen master, you are Spencer Tracy, do you hear me? And the crazy thing about it, I don't know if anyone would get this, I got it. Sure. Uh, hopefully. When I got it, it worked. And it's funny, Kevin Costner, I learned so much from him on The Bodyguard. Yes. Um, yeah, you might be this New York guy coming out there, hey, I've worked with De Niro, you know, whatever. But he said to me, he goes, you know, man, you got this great energy. He said, all I can do, and he was being very uh, humble and, and selfless. He said, Mike, all I do is stand and deliver. And he was talking to me like a film director and producer, you know. Mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. says, all I do is I do stand and deliver. And he says, you've got this great energy. He said, it will really help you the more you find those moments to just be and be yeah. still. And that's a Think a big yes. lesson to people. It you know? sure is. Because there's a lot of people's energy. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. You really do. I mean, and, and I have to first of all, I've, I've met Kevin a couple times, and he is such a nice guy, first of all. Yeah. I mean, he's just so sincere. And I, the first yep. time I met him, I was down at some you know, house that's right there on the PCH in, in Santa Monica, and it was a mutual right. friend somehow. And I'm there, and I'm just a young kid. And I, I had recently this was like 18 years old i had recently won an emmy and and like here's like kevin costner dances with wolves you know like coming <laughs> coming in here and i was just like like starstruck right and i i so badly wanted to talk to him and suddenly you know like i mean i wasn't like making an initiative to go i was like too nervous to even like bother him because this was his downtime right I'm like this is his downtime he doesn't want to talk shop and he came over to me he's like hey what's going on I introduced himself and then asked me what i did he asked me. So I was like, well, I'm an actor. It's not like what you do, but he was like so uplifting and reassuring that yes. I had a whole career ahead of me, which was so, so, you know, some people, you know, some people just don't even take the time. And uh, he did. Absolutely. And that, that's important. And I think I know it took me four hours just to say the difference between theater and film, this and that, because people will ask that, but well, how you get the bug. You know, I was, um, it's interesting because I went through this whole thing about, um, is it egotistical? Is it, well, you know, it was the late 60s. I said, is it wrong to act? You know, whatever. Is it a bad thing for your spiritual, whatever. And I would literally stand on stage, get an applause and go, okay, what, do I like that? Huh, what's that about? I, I'd be so nuts on myself. Yeah. Then you realize, and I learned this from a teacher, Sam Toporoff said, you don't have to quit, man. You can do your yoga on the stage. He said, oh, and I said <laughs> well, I don't do yoga, but uh, uh, something like that. And then actually uh, a famous Zen master lived to be 106. He was uh, uh, California. And, and, and he had, I learned something from him that people are all talking about now. That's very in, uh, but, but people, which is good for thousands of years, they've been talking about and I've told now people use that word about consciousness or, or um, awareness or presence. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is I found that the most present outside of being aware with your children or your family or friends or being a, even coaching order, but I did realize that especially on, well, film, you have to be attentive, but I mean, on stage, there's a great thing about it. There's no time to sit and go, aren't I wonderful? Didn't I get a great laugh? Yeah. It's like on to the next. Let's, there is only one moment. Let's, let's stay present in that. Yeah. Uh, I remember listening to the, the, 
the speaker, Eric Butterworth from Unity, and he said, you know, concert pianists make some mistake. They can't go, can we just go back? Oh, geez, what am I going to do? Uh, let me uh, try that. Oh, how did I screw that? No, yeah. you got to keep going. You got to so keep moving. I found an excitement more than anything else. Like some people want to jump out of planes or whatever. That's fine. But I found that you could learn from the joy of being there with that energy on stage or in film. I just like the camaraderie too. It sounds like it's no, it is. No, it is so true. If anybody's ever worked on a, on, on a stage off Broadway, a Broadway, it's just, you know, these, these are the best of the best. You know, it is like a professional, a professional sports team. These are the best of the best that you're working with. I, before I had, when I, I had auditioned for this thing four separate times on four different years, like basically trying to get on Beauty and the Beast. I had one person that was believing in me and then like the rest of the other, you know, like we're all, we're, we're, he's too young for the role. He's not going to be right. Blah, blah, blah. How are you going to do this? Well, you know, it, it all ended up ultimately working out, but I'll tell you, just like what you were saying, like being present, there was one time, and I had this, you know, you had the show memorized backwards and forward. And I, at this point, I probably had done 70 performances of it. I knew the, I knew the show. I don't know what it was. Completely forgot a line that night. And I'm, I'm kneeling to the beast, and I'm, like, getting ready to say, but, Master, you need to, you need to, he's like, talk to the girl, which, which was my line. And and you know it's but that's that camaraderie. Everybody's like everybody's aware. Everybody's got your back. They're ready to keep moving, and you got that moment, yeah. just like you were saying. Yeah, and one of the dangers I've read it in books, whether it's Mamet talking about acting, this one of the dangers of of uh, like you say having someone's back. But if you get judgmental and think the energy's down. And I've made this mistake. I tried to do it at network once because I thought the writing didn't make sense. Terrible. It is to go bigger and louder and faster, you know, or stronger. And you, you just got to cover your own thing. I mean, you got to respect and cover people, like you said, the lines. But uh, I think you have to just really stay it as they the term stay in your own lane. A lot of times, it's there's a real temptation to want to think. Hey, this is not going well. I've seen, I've worked with actors that did that and think they yeah. had to rechange. They had to change blocking around <laughs> it. <next night. laughs> so yeah. They felt they weren't in enough light. But that's a regional theater story that happened one time. It's really funny. I said, "What the hell? Where did he go?" We go. Yeah. Oh, oh, my friend's the director. He came and said I wasn't downstage enough. I said, "Oh, that's good to know." Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, there's there's the new miniseries uh, documenting the challenges of getting the iconic classic, The Godfather, filmed at Paramount. I'm yeah, sure you've I probably seen, seen it. Yeah. What was the journey like for Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas? Boy. For me or for uh, the whole... Yeah, but for you, I mean, what, and anything you observed. I think I was out uh, in med school. I think I had come out to do a play... I think at the time um, that was in New York, Arthur Penn was directing. It was Malcolm McDowell, Susie Kurtz, I think. So I remember staying with my brother in North Hollywood, my couple of my friends, and Frank Renzulli wound up writing on The Sopranos, and they gave me this book, Wise Guy. I read it, and I said, boy, this guy, Bobby McMahon, French gets perfect. He's half Irish, this and that, perfect. And he's this upbeat thief and all this stuff. And I actually wrote to Ellen Lewis, <laughs> Ellen Lewis, you know, the, the 
the Supreme Caster. She's mm-hmm. just one of the most wonderful people from Chicago. I actually wrote a letter. It's like, <laughs> uh, I don't think I've done that before or since. I'm thinking of doing it again for certain things, but uh, we're telling people how much I like something. Because the actors you see, Gene Wilder uh, uh, told me he wrote a letter to Dustin Hopkins. Gene Wilder. Sure. He's uh, uh, guy. I got to work yeah, with him. Yeah. But, but uh, I wrote a letter to Ellen. But what I didn't realize also, I had four callbacks for Temptation, Last Temptation, uh-huh. uh, Christ, and I was doing Funny Farm, and they flew me from here, and this and that, and a lot of funny stories about audition and trying not to be New York, uh, but there I was with my friend Paulie Herman, God rest soul, mm-hmm. just recently, we look up Paul Herman. Yes, of course. Guy, De Niro spoke, Bob spoke at his memorial and everything, and uh, he was a very special person, Paulie. And uh, an entourage. He even pranked me once because he played the accountant. I said, "You f- sound like my friend Jesse, who's this magic accountant." He got me one day. He started yelling at me on the phone. Then he goes, "Mike, it's me, Paulie." I said I sound. And Jesse got the biggest <laughs> kick out of that. But Paulie uh, was the type of guy that looked out for everyone. But yeah. anyway, I came back and I I made I like. Um, making people laugh. I really enjoy that. I think it's a fun thing. I don't mean like, hey, am I a whatever. But I found myself talking old movies with Martin Scorsese and bad biblical movies, and I, I got a relationship with him uh, in that way, just talking. It was just I was very relaxed with him. He was great. And he told my brother when they were working, they said, it, Mike was just a little too similar to some people, maybe Harvey Keitel. I don't mean acting-wise. I mean, just the sound or feeling, he said. And I almost put him in as Peter. And then, you know, the great guy with Victor Argo. But he said, I almost – so I didn't know, but I knew I was going to put him in the next one. So I don't know how it all happened, but all of a sudden I was there. We had to read some scene, and we were laughing again. And the next thing I know, I'm playing uh, Frenchie McMahon. Bobby yeah. McMahon, and uh, there were really, in the script, not that many lines, but he shows up a lot. And what basically happened was I really, there was a detective on it, things happened to him later, but he was in the beginning with, uh, he was one of the mobs when they go by, you know, Tony Tutan, all the different people. And he said to me, I worked this case, uh, said, you're perfect for the guy. And he started telling me funny stories about Frenchie. And said that was his energy. And he went to Scorsese said, boy, you did good. Did good. He went over to Martin Scorsese said, uh, that guy's perfect for Frenchie. And so, you know, Martin, Martin Scorsese it was really funny. Martin Scorsese has this great laugh. And he left, goes, wow, I'm glad I got him. <laughs> and he would quiz me a lot, Martin Scorsese, on the set with trivia. Oh, and nice. I would get a neat laugh. He goes, I know Mike Saul would know that. I mean, like really obscure stuff and funny things. And I would impersonate people. And we just laughed. And I remember going over to Sam Jackson one day because we had uh, he got me on a, a softball team in a Broadway show league. Him and Skeeter Williams got me on the team uh, Caribbean Musical. I played for this team for a while. But Sam and I walked in. Uh, geez, we walked, I think, with the American Ballet Theater and uh, one of the age walks. Is that, but we were with the same agency. And I said, Sam, you realize it's about 40 people on the set, and you and me are the only people that have ever been on the stage. <laughs> you know, whatever. we were just laughing. Because he would just find characters, Scorsese, you know, yeah. and make it work. And then you'd have really uh, people who were quite strong. And I, I have a theory that uh, Scorsese, Woody Allen, anyone 
everyone has at least one performance in them. And I think Levinson might have said the same about my friend Barry's thing, a separate piece. And uh, uh, a fellow from Northern Ireland wrote a kind of a dark comedy. Um, and I think that every person that came in was a natural. Every person in Ireland can act, it seems. <laughs> I think I've heard something like that. Barry told me that, or some maybe Lou Dijamo, the casting director, told me that uh, Barry Levinson had said something like that. But um, so it started evolving, and you know, you'd be in scenes, stand there, maybe he had lip something, or he'd say, "Mike, so can you say something?" Or what he, and uh, it was fun. You're starting to relax with people. And one night, I found myself with Charlie Scorsese, uh, his dad, and with Frank Silvera, who played Frankie Carbone. Yeah, and he was from the area where all that happened, you know. And I was from Queens, but little distant from that now when a lot of that stuff happened i was a teen i wasn't involved in anything like people say hey tell us what it was like i, I came from a very working class background people became some people got in trouble but they weren't high level people and some people you know became cops firemen whatever you know and uh, yeah um some went to college but anyway um frank said how are you going to play this book like and De Niro used to love when I imitated Frank. So you're going to play this, and, um, you know, as an actor, and so, you know, people do it. Hey, can you do Texas? Let me hear you do, do your accent. Or let me see how you're going to speak your lines. You know, and he didn't mean it. He meant it with, I found out I, I was just a little patient at first. I was like, uh, I don't know what you mean. Uh, you know, I was like, uh, huh? And, uh, <laughs> and he wound up giving me such great insight. He said, because the way you all know, because they were telling stories, these great stories, but I'd thrown a few. It was the scene where I passed the key to Pesci, so all I did all night mm -hmm. was this. Yeah. And Joe Pesci would say, hey, Mike, he was such a ball-breaking guy. Mike, why don't you try some left-arm acting in this scene, <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, But we were sitting in this diner at the airport when we were doing it, and these classic stories from Martin Scorsese's father, and, I mean, about how Mean Streets and was the first film to be allowed and little, little, I mean, just great stories. And Frank told great stories. And once in a while I'd say something funny. So Frank would say to me, just the way you are now, that's the way this guy is or was. In fact, it might've gone against him because he was just so outgoing. Yeah. And you, and I'm thinking you see that great scene with the pink Cadillac, uh, with when Johnny roast beef, that's his real name, Johnny Williams, Johnny roast beef comes in. And then Frank has to do the thing with the, Fur coat and sure. puts it on. Yes, yeah. That is, I mean, I'd like to say one scene is more important, but every that's what's so great about Goodfellas because it's like a great play, screenplay, in that Nick wrote it, and yet, you know, the auteur, the, what do they say, the auteur part, the auteur part comes out with because they work together and working with the Nero and Pesci at Living Stuff. They were. They were not haphazard things like, hey, let's tell a funny story. Even what I had to do had to be crafted, and it was working with them. Um, and I just gave what I could, and, you know, say whatever you want, but, da, da, da. but it was based on something. And that scene was important because allegedly Jimmy Burke, uh, who was uh, Jimmy Conway in the movie that yeah. Robert De Niro played, had warned everybody, no excessive, uh, what do you say, demonstrative actions, you know, uh, said everything's got to be normal and that's what's so great about that scene because they got the pink Cadillac they got the fur coat All stuff. and um, Martin Scorsese had let us know one time 
my friend Victor, who was one of the authors of Summer Sam, said Bona Fortuna or something, right? And not that he did anything wrong. It's when Henry's going away to jail for the first time. So he said something like, good luck in Italian. And Monsquist said, excuse me, did anyone just speak Italian now? And he goes, yeah, I did. I said, good luck. He says, no. And it was not that he was mad at me. He said, this is, he basically let us know this wasn't a mafia or Italian mafia. Because people say, you played a mafia guy, a tough guy. And I said, no, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I played an air cargo supervisor. I said I was security because there was none. I said, uh, if you read the book, I said, I mean, I don't get mad. I said, he was uh, an earner. He was a guy, a lovable thief. I mean, if I can say this on the podcast, uh, Lou. Yeah, of course. (laughs) He said, uh, give you an example of how French he was. He'd walk up to a guy and say, hey, you still fucking your wife? And the guy would go, what? (laughs) And he'd go, here, give it this. And he'd give this expensive diamond ring because it was such outrageous virgin terror. It was so easy. Yeah. In 68, I'm talking about Air France. Sure. And then, obviously, Lufthansa was another story, too. You know, I mean, I say, obviously, that with all I got, but there really wasn't. That's why I said security. You're looking at it. I'm the commandant. Yeah. If you read the book, there was, you know, uh, Ray was trying to throw in, if I didn't swallow him up, I hope, uh, a line when we worked. They were saying, yeah, there's just one little guy, this square badge or whatever. He made a comment about security, but the guy looked up. If you read the book, how they got the keys, it's hysterical. But it's a movie in itself. You know, it yeah. seems I had asked once, is said, any chance we can do? He goes, Mike, that would be a whole, you know, it's a, <laughs> I wish we could. But yeah. so we had to just condense it in a few minutes. Sure. But it was so key, whether whoever did those, the deaths and the murders, you know, they um, whether it was from higher up or it was sent down, who knows. But a lot of it was due to the fact that there was that, why am I going over the word? When someone shows off wealth, they they were supposed to keep it low key. So they were peacocking I, a little bit. Pe- I, I guess that's it. There's yeah. another word uh, uh, when people show off, you know, gold and this, and when they want to show, hey, look how much. And then, oh, okay. It's like some of the famous uh, so-called people in organized or whatever yeah. were the ones that be quiet and be a sweet old man. You know what I mean? And they'd survive with you. People who gets on the front page, well, you know, or the magazines, they tell you that may not be the way to go eventually in life, <laughs> whatever, whatever you do, you know. But but the extreme example, so that, that scene was very important. Just like the scene, um, there's so many scenes like why Pesci, oh, the, hey, get your shine box. Well, people find that funny in this, I'm Frank Godress, so Frank, who I learned so much from and worked with. Frank Vincent, he plays a guy, but it's important, almost like we're doing a medieval about knights and medieval play or samurai uh, in the 1860s. He was not supposed to be touched, and he gets killed. So I guess like in Chekhov or or, uh, in um, Hitchcock, I mean, something in in classic plays, maybe even Aristotle, I'm throwing names like I know what I'm talking about, but I learned from (laughs) Brian. There had to be a payoff to that. Sure. Because they violated a major rule. So when you look at it that way, not like, hey, isn't this funny to me? Hey, they're talking like this. Hey, no, it was more of the, to me, a tremendous story. And to me, it's one of the great <laughs> anti drug and anti that life story. Because people say, oh, yeah, glorified. I said, what did it glorify? We all wound up dead. And he uh, was. Uh, he was sent off to some uh, life where he was miserable, right. you know. And uh, you know, it's it's it to me. It wasn't like, hey, let's join the Marine Corps out of this one after watching the world. Yeah, yeah. Now people were steering know, clear. Right, <laughs> the, right the Yankees or uh, 
or the Marine, you know, whatever, you know, and I don't mean that insulting anyone. I'm just saying that, that it's, uh, it, it was so strong, but the, the drama of it, of everything being paid off, why we had to get killed in the, the way he used the music. He had me ad lib, make fun of Maury's wig, um, in a wedding scene. Martin did. And Thel- yeah. yeah. And Thelma and my brother was behind cameras. So Scorsese is hysterical. He liked all my, I tried to always make references period, you know, like I tried to, and I, Oh, by the way, I wanted to, after Frank told me that I wanted to be like, I was shot out of a cannon when I first come in, you know, <laughs> and you know, and the music was just that I, that was my, my contribution to it. You know, when you see, you know, looks at me, and then he moves purposely. You see, he fixes his cuffs. Like uh, I heard that, uh, I mean, Burke was uh, supposedly was aware of being the Irish guy among Italians, mm-hmm. mostly Italians, and and Irish Americans, as they say, weren't known for their clothes a lot of times. So would people would say, but the Italians would like great dresses. So he, you just see little things that Robert De Niro does, and I'm not trying to give away like, hey, he told me this, or acting-wise. Just, I'm talking about detail, yeah. how he straightens his cuffs, you know, the way he puts out a cigarette. Just, you know, that it, they're a little thick. There's so much Tells. your acting students can learn. Yeah, so yeah. I did this thing, and he kept laughing and laughing. He says, do it again, Mike. And I did this whole thing, a reference to the 60s, uh, and uh, Bob Barker back in the day had truth cuts. It was this whole question. He was laughing so hard, and I should have done one quick one, but I didn't know. Thelma Schoolmark of the Academy Award winning editor said to me, you know, Marty wanted to put that in so bad and it made three cuts. And the fourth one, it was just off by a second. He said, but Mike, you'll see. He loved it. Yeah. But you'll see when you see the pacing of the film, how strict it is. And people would think, you know, like, oh yeah, he just threw out these stories. He said, once you see the film, you'll understand. And sure enough, what happens, I'm seeing this stuff with the helicopter. I mean, if you ever, you know, I mean, if that wasn't the greatest anti-cocaine, paranoid <laughs> lunatic looking up and, uh, and you know, in the helicopters yeah. and you seeing everything and he's so nuts. And I heard stories where that happened with people with dealing with and, uh, okay, blah, 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 and uh, setups and everything and happened in different cases. And I said, okay, I get it. And to this day, every now and then, I think of an ad lib that would have worked with less time. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it's always what doesn't happen, then you think about it later, yes. right? In the Happened car. In natural, too. Yeah. In a natural, I got to ad lib a lot of stuff, and Barry Levinson really taught me so much about ad libbing. But there was a couple of times, one time Wil- Wilford Brimley threw me a softball, and I just didn't hit it, catch it. I didn't connect and realize what he was doing, and... Uh, it, it, it's you know it's it. I'm sure you found the same thing in, in in all walks of life. You did. It's on the job training. Yeah, I remember doing. Um, I got to do some soaps like on the fives in the beginning and stuff. But then I find uh, my friend Mike Bataluca went to Boardwalk Empire and they brought me in as the the mob guy in Young and the Restless. And I think it was in the early 2000s. But the funny thing is, I remember being on. Um, Soaps where I had an under five, and they had the, they had the prompter and all this stuff, which we had. But they would do takes, and there was so much money in those days for soaps. Sure, we were doing two takes. Yeah, <laughs> and you better have it down. And I forgive me if it's Richard, but these uh, 
blonde, silver-haired actor, wonderful actor on Young and the Wrestling. I'm going up in his name. And he told me when I did my last show, he said, I just want to tell you. And he was very complimentary. He said, you know, we have a lot of film people come here and they just lose it. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. He said, but I saw you the first day and I knew you were going to be fine. Yeah. But we've had people just go screwball. And, yeah. you know, and you know, there's a tendency to condescend about soap opera. Please. Yeah. James Earl Jones told me years ago, I ran it. I worked with him for a few minutes in Japan. That's the story. But I had written a paper on him and all this stuff. But I saw him in Manhattan and he was giving me advice. But he started telling me about how important and people, uh, said McGrath, I'm trying to think, different people. She wound up on Star Trek. We said, the talent that's on soap. So, you know, there's a danger of saying, oh, please. Yeah, I mean, there, there's always that stigma, and I, I heard that stigma because I did a, I did soaps for 25 years. I started when I was 17. Wow! And you know, I did over 2,000 of 2,000 episodes in that time in 25 years on soaps from General Hospital, Bold and Beautiful, All My Children, and um, yeah, you get that stigma, right? So there's a stigma about totally. it, but I'll tell you, like when I first started, we were doing just one show a day, and there was approximately right. 14 shows that were still on air at that time. This was, <laughs> right. this was 97. Okay. And, and then suddenly they all sort of started to fall off. Right. And so they were like, well, we need to figure out how we can put more out there and do it in less amount of days. So yes. they started doubling up days once in a I while. Did that with Young and the Restless. Yeah. And then eventually I remember this is when I decided I wanted to walk away. Cause I eventually I felt like I wasn't really fulfilling my artistic needs. And uh-huh. I've talked about that, and I'm I'm okay with that. It's uh, they were doing eight shows to ten shows in four days, with wow. having a three day weekend, and so that was just like at that point, it's like really you're you're just rushing everything. There's there's just really no time to really sit with the scenes. It's tough. Yeah, no, it's a challenge. Yeah, but you know. you know you get good at that too. It's like you know I mean a, a great director friend of mine. He came from the theater, and he also directed all my children, uh, Connell O'Brien, and he would always say. Um, let's have a short prayer and here we go. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what it felt like. Put your seatbelts on, folks, because anything's going to happen right yeah. now. Yeah, you see, people. Um, I was amazed at the pages, and 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 you know, more often than not, I would find. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm going up on names, but oh, uh, I'm going to do a show in Palm Springs. I'm doing this. They would. They had people on it. Had one man show, one woman shows, and one man shows, and. Uh, and so many, so many different, different uh, uh, class, uh, different worlds they were in. Oh, they had this radio thing on the blog, the podcast. You know, they would do this theater. So it wasn't like people were just saying, you know, discovered in um, in uh, a store and went, "Hey, you'd be great." Like sometimes people would say, "How the heck did you get into Goodfellas?" Mm-hmm. I said, "Well, Martin Scorsese saw me in a car wash and he thought I was funny, so I was." <laughs> I was working because I did work in a car wash briefly. I yeah. wasn't very good. That was later on, but I, I said uh, I flooded the place one time and burned my. <laughs> but uh, well, I, I tell people I'm an actor because I can't do anything else. Right. You know, I might have uh, learned how to play defensive end a little better, but I don't know. But well, no, I think but that's the, I think that's the best advice of all time. You have to know that you don't want to do anything else. To make it in this business. And as you know, as an actor, there's many ups and downs in in the business. They can get challenging. What keeps you grounded as a person knowing there could be like that? There's that volatility to 
this biz? Boy. So you could get into a discussion, um, and, and, and it's not to get religious because I, I heard a great line, the, the religions don't have a monopoly on faith, but it's okay if y'all, you know, I'm not, or if I am, I just, I, I, I want to be careful uh, about like, well, I found this or found that, and it's, you know, that, which is, I respect. But there is a, in a faith a lot of times, whether it, it's in whatever religious terms or just people use the universe now of faith in life, that it's also a faith in yourself. And I don't mean the ego that you've worked hard at this and there's got to be a place for you somewhere. But you do go through that constantly. And I'd have to give my wife Joanne so much credit, even, geez, before med school, that's the one thing she just wouldn't let me quit. And, uh, there were times I thought of, uh, didn't have a job. I thought uh, when I came, let's say I got in the union, what, in the mid to late 70s, it seemed, even into the 80s, changed in the 90s, all of the character roles, detectives, cops, iron workers on commercials, was being played by people in their 40s and their 50s. There were no young <laughs> detectives, unless maybe you were... <laughs> I'm the green guy and you're super handsome or whatever, you know. But it was funny. I was I, I had a friend advise me and I was starting I was gonna take civil service. I said maybe not that I would have been good at it, but I started uh, in nineteen seventy five I was gonna take the fireman's test and this and that, which worked for a lot of people. Look, Steve for four years was a fireman. My friend Jack McGee for years and active, but I'm I'm just saying I was going to try to do something and I actually got this I didn't try to play football, but uh <laughs> but I I, um, but there was this, uh, desire. I was, got, uh, my father had got me a job and it would have been working with kids. I said, can I, all of a sudden I started getting commercials. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, maybe I can do this stuff. And I, I had done some, I'd done some free theater and, uh, and Dan Loria, uh, boy, the cast we had got me involved in a play about the formation of the crime syndicate called Vespa's Eve written by Louis LaRussa who wrote Lamp Post Reunion, and it was a different view of how uh, Maya Lansky, and everybody. I played Dutch Schultz, uh, had organized, and Frank Costello, who I know they're doing a film about, I think now they're going to do a film, but I you get things, and just when it still happens to me, I have to admit it, you know, and then it makes you want to try to do your own things like you're doing and get on the other side, and that's, I heard Jason Alexander speak to people like, if you don't feel you can break in, do your own thing. You know what I mean? Because we're in a different world now. Whereas I remember being, I was a theater major in uh, communications, mine, and I I had, oh, okay, you're going to do your own film. And I'd have this idea for, okay, I got crowds and this will be really funny. We had 16 millimeter, no sound. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we need sound for this thing? Yeah, exactly. No, no, we'll we'll get around it. Right, Super 8. So, (laughs) Uh, 90% of the films were watching people smoke joints or people eat bananas or whatever they would do, you know. And uh, Sounds like uh, Instagram today and TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so now my friend, uh, the artist and actor, Tony Fitzpatrick in Chicago, years ago, he said, you know, with the democratization of filmmaking, we're going to, you know, people can make their own. So that's one way. But I always say whenever I think that's it, I'm done, I know something good is going to happen because then where I go, all right, I'm throwing it all on you uh, to whatever the powers that be and say, that's it. I've had it. I, I've done everything I can do. And it is that type of thing where you think it's uh, over. Morgan Freeman, you know, I'm sure you get a lot of 
uh, people asking advice or, or parents say, tell them, tell them they need to get a, a college degree. Tell them I would get this. So tell them yeah. but they were going to go to med- whatever, you know? And I, I said, I can't tell people that I can tell them the realities of it. Yeah. And maybe it's not necessary to be a drama major nowadays, but you can't tell people I, not I, to follow their dreams. Yeah, exactly. So it's so hard because parents would have to tell them, tell my daughter, tell my son, you know, or I said, I can tell them the realities of it. But I heard, I think years ago, Charlie Rose interviewing Morgan Freeman and said, what do you tell people about having something to fall back on? Hmm. And Morgan Freeman said, if they have something to fall back on, they will. That's what I tell them. Yeah. Because <laughs> you think of Morgan Freeman. I worked with him years ago. Morgan Freeman told me in the World's Fair, I think, he was dancing, I think, in the World's Fair he did a thing. And, you know, we re- people don't remember he was on the electric company with Skip Hennon and things yeah. like that, you know, in the children's television workshop. I mean, different people. you got to really believe in yourself. And also, if there isn't a market for you, you make one for yourself. Sure. You've seen people do that. You've seen people reinvent themselves yeah you know it's really uh i tell every all my students and people that i work with and kids and families and people that ask me if they haven't started in the industry try it all get out there do i mean if it's a if it's a kid show if it's you know if it's just don't be picky you need the experience you need the time on set you need to understand how it works yeah just like i tell people you have a in Orange County, you have the uh, great film school, Chapman, which is also... Oh, I know Chapman University. Economics, I, I'm friends, right? So yeah. I tell people, if they ask me there, or if in L.A., they would ask me in New York, I say, go to your nearest university film school or college film school, wherever you are. And especially if you're not in your early 20s, but if you are, it's fine. And tell them you just want to be in their uh, films for free. They may need you, you know, go on a bulletin board. And the thing is, it gives you what you say experience, gives you a reel, hopefully later on. But also, uh, quite honestly, if you have no alumni like these schools do, it, so many of these places, NYU, uh, USC, Chapman, I mean, and, and, and you don't have to have a name, but I'm saying a lot of these people that were doing film became your directors. Yeah. It also opens the door, you know, because you're in the club. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know? So you've accomplished so much as an actor, Mike. Are there still bucket list items for you? Oh, sure, yeah. I had a a couple of funny answers the other day for you, and now I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I want to play someone with a good memory. (laughs) Who has funny lines, and he... Right, like Seinfeld does on one episode, writes down at night and wants to know the next day what was funny about that, or the the someone you know a lot of Larry David humor like that, yeah, um, in Seinfeld. But uh, it was something I was thinking the other day, and it sounds so crazy. Uh, now I got to think about that. Yeah, I, think, I, I, think, think on that if it comes back to yeah. you. Well, I got to say, all my guests they take a ride in the Jacob Young time machine. I love it. So if you could offer advice to young Mike Starr, I mean, like your teenage years, what would you tell him if you could talk to him right now? Hmm. To me? Yeah, yourself, yeah. Um, Again, that was my brother who gave me so much, but it's also my father from um, his parents are immigrants from Poland. I mean, never pushing me to... Uh, 
not follow my dreams. He wasn't a guy who said, there, son, you got to do this, but he was also didn't get in the way. It was just, it was there. My mother, coming from, <laughs> we'll call it a tough Irish Catholic background, my brother warned me, he said, listen, Ma would be in heaven if all four of us worked for the post office. You know, that, and that's not knocking anything so many times, you know, and that's good too if you want to do that and do whatever. But I think the important thing would be, looking back, that's a great one about a time machine because, you know, I, I would think if you're going to go to school, not to waste your time. And again, you know, I don't want to get into, hey, don't do drugs, don't do this, whatever, don't point to But would be to take care of yourself as, I just I didn't mean to make that like a joke, but to take care of uh, your instrument, uh, take care of your body and your mind and spirit. Uh, not be too worried. How many times would you look back and say, uh, Mark Twain's line about most of the things I worried uh, worried about never happened to me or something like that, sure. or the terrible things in my oh most of the terrible th- things in my life never happened to me, mm-hmm. and I think it's that confidence and belief, but I think it's constantly working and improving yourself in every way you can think of. Does that make sense? That does, and not not you know it's very easy to get turned down and this and that. Nowadays, is people struggling young people seriously struggling with yeah. uh, depression and whatnot. I mean, uh, right that I had that issue, um, by any means, I mean, I was searching, wondering what was going on, and it yeah. made you open to certain things, and you could get sucked into things. But I think, geez, myself again, I think I would have, uh, I really tried to do the best I can. I think uh, sometimes I would, when uh, I'm distracting with, uh, or with kids. I mean, I tried to give everything I could, but I think, geez, uh, I'm not helping you. No, you I are. Think. You are. You actually, I'll tell you what, I you think. actually answered it like 12 times. Oh, okay. Um, I, I mean, taking care of yourself. Yeah. A hundred percent. Distracted and wasting time. Let's yeah. Don't waste way. your time. My friend Brian would say to read more. If you're an actor, I look at a guy like I worked with, um, number of times and consider a friend. I haven't seen him in a few years, but a guy like John Totoro. Oh, I love when John. I've worked him to every time he was so focused. I mean, he's a nut when I say, I say that in a loving way. you got to be careful when you tell people. I said, you know, if you say someone's crazy, what? He's not crazy. There's something wrong with him. No, I didn't mean that. Then <laughs> in a, go, in a, oh. it, yeah, he's just, no, he's full of life and I fun. He's so yeah. passionate. Passionate. Yeah. And so focused and was always improving himself. And uh, I think like that, like uh, uh, you look at what Stanley Tucci has done over the years. I, I think, I don't know. I would advise myself. Um, the one thing I regret that I didn't do was study enough music in college. You know what I mean? And yeah. improve myself. I mean, I had played bass, but I mean, if I do over again and focus, I mean, I really took advantage of a lot. Shakespeare in classes as studies and, uh, um, this urban anthropologist, Jerry Rosenfeld, I got really into cultural anthropology and taught and saw how it related theater and film. And he gave me so many opportunities. I don't regret that, but let me put it this way. I heard Joe Namath, the great quarterback from my brother play with interviewed one day. And he said, and it's like listening to some gamblers. I know (laughs) Uh, he said, what I, so many times, what are I, I remember most of the losses. We, oh, we lost Auburn. Why did that happen? You know, in my junior year, whatever, you know? Yeah. And I look back and probably the 
throughout high school or college when I didn't read more, when I didn't study more. I mean, I, I unfortunately worked at it. You hear people in pro sports, and I had I, I got to ask uh, uh, Coach Hurley Sr., who uh, they wrote a book, The Miracle of St. Anthony, uh, and it's great stories. He was on 60 Minutes. I said, what does this mean when people tell you, I really don't know when I played football. We had a great practice this week. How the hell do you know, you know? And, and it's interesting. Yeah. Then I look back and I say, you have to make every moment work. And I think that's the one thing I can say I did do in theater. Yeah. Uh, when we rehearsed, I really, really worked hard. It was like sometimes in certain things you go, when is this going to be over? You know, whether it's practice or this and that. And I see the importance of repetition over the years I learned. And I think I've, if anything, if I, I regrets, but the young Mike Starr would tell me, I'll make sure you stay focused every day, whatever it is, meditate, you know, work out, do, do this, careful what you even drink or whatever, or who you hang out with, sure. you know, this and that. And to hang around with positive, successful people, does that make sense? You can get caught in a neighborhood of, they, they may be very nice people, some are trouble, but you can get caught in a, wherever it could be a small town thing of everyone telling you what you can't do. (laughs) Well, like, who do you think you are? You're going to do this, you know? Yeah. I call that tough love. That's where you got to cut the ties. Okay. You know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's how I was taught, you know, when I was breaking into the industry was there's going to be those people. There's going to be a lot of those people that tell you, it could be family member. It could be your parents. It could be your best friend and say, you can't do that. What makes you so special? And at that point, I was lucky with my family. Tough love. Jimmy, Johnny, Bill. I mean, you know, they're, they always, it was weird. I was the baby of the family. So I got more opportunities, you know, and same with my wife who was a musician, summer stock. I remember she was working at places or working hospitals and research and certain doctors were saying, no, you should do this. You should do that. And she was into different things, uh, East, West, this and that. But I remember, one of the only psych talks I gave, I said, I, she said, you're crazy. What I, I said, what have I put you through for the last 50 the characters <laughs> in my life? And kids, I said, I said, we, you never want to look back. That's one thing I feel. Uh, right, you can see wrong turns, right turns, this and that, but you never want to look back when you're 60 or 70, especially the, without getting on any uh, nationalistic or thing about, but, when you do realize the opportunities you have in uh, growing up and and being in the States, you know what I I mean? It's not, I'm not trying to put down anywhere else or say, ah, but you think about the opportunities. I said, you know, you, even when you saw parents or grandparents that had limited opportunities, you know, or came through depressions or friends or families or someone that was in war or something like that. You, when you see you have the chance you don't want to look back at 50, 60, 70, 80, or 90 and say, I really would have been great, but, you know, I had kids or, you know, I wanted to, you know, or my wife, my husband, I did, I gave up my, you know, you don't want to say that. Yeah. And I said, I certainly don't want to be the one that you, uh, you know, sacrificed, you know, because people, you have, um, thank God, because of the way my wife still works now, Joanne, I had to say my wife, but, uh, Joanne, uh, Joanne, you know, like a possession here. I'm the Orange County housewife, but um, <laughs> I joke about it. I'm the real one. But I, 
when people have so much to give, whatever it is, again, it doesn't matter the job. You know, I don't mean to say that, but if that's what you really have a passion to do and you can give so much and then you, if people say, okay, this is my job, I have to do this. But in my private time, I, I do work with kids or home. Like, I mean, like in giving and kind of, so I, I would say, cause I do think about that once in a while, what would I change? Maybe I would have, uh, you know, maybe I would have worked on, uh, uh, well, I did, I did work on speech. The problem was a lot of jobs I had, you couldn't deal with people with standard speech. You know, you had, a, <laughs> what the fuck you don't, no, no, I don't mean that, you know, but, uh, but I, I think I would say there was one chance I had, um, and I wasn't more insistent with some people on the first film I did. Say, oh, we're going to send you to that class. And I wanted to go to Stella. I think it's what you were talking about connections, but I think, um, even more so perfecting yourself. I mean, and I think it, I would tell young people, I mean, anyone to go to films. If someone's 60 years old and wants to be an actor, I wouldn't discourage that. Yeah, of course. There's less people out there. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's one thing my brother was very good at. He really got me into a lot of different films, uh, Italy and France. And I was in films from Japan. Now my big thing is, uh, of Korean work, but American films, but we would go and, and, I think he especially learned from watching, you know what I mean? So it goes back to your, your question, because you don't want to impersonate someone. You don't want to be um, someone, Hey, I do a great Robert De Niro. No, it isn't that it's or Hey, I'm just like Joe Pesci or something. But I think, you know, I learned from different people. What was Brian Dennehy, Gene Hackman, the Casa Sorito, Joe Mantagna. I think that, um, the more you did, the better. So I, I, I don't know if I gave the right advice, but you gave, I really tried to You gave to lots do. of advice, brother. That is I've had a wacky life, you, hey, and I, I, I intend to We've enjoyed every second of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I talk um, too much. No, I, I love it. This is what it's all about. This is why we're on the podcast. I have another, my last question, and this question is, it was, I'm still uh, thinking of that bucket list one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if Maybe it comes back, King Lear. bring it back. <laughs> Boys Town's motto is, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And the story is, right. is years ago, Father Flanagan, while he was alive, before World War II, they had some you know young kids that didn't You know, have... by the way, that um, the background I was brought in, we saw humor and everything. Yes. So whenever my brother John, the oldest one, God bless him. He knows. You're going to Boys Town. <laughs> he picked up a check. They point at me. Something. I was going. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we would do that all the time. You'd buy a drink or something like that. So that was we used that. But no, I think it's awesome. I remember. I can see the image. Yeah. It's yeah. Of course. You know stand. the boy. You know being carried by the other boy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, in our lives, we've all had somebody carry us, whether it was emotionally, physically. <laughs> yeah. Who's carried you? You know, I'd have to say if I ever win some big, you know, award, I'd have to say the first thing I'd say is thank to my wife, Joanne, for keeping me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think a lot of that, but I had a lot of friends in the neighborhood, older people, and uh, my dad and mom, you know, uh, and like I said, all three brothers. You know, it's funny. I knew people told me how much money when yeah, I got this, I got that, or blah, 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 bragging. 
And I went to join the Screen Actors Guild, and I said, I don't have the money. Can I put, oh, geez, I just built up. Oh, my God, my brother-in-law just. And, they, you know, the, the people that said they had it, and they were my friend, and they said, which is fine, or they bragged about the word was conspicuous wealth. And it's okay. It doesn't make them wrong. They, they, but my brother John, civil service, uh, ex-Marine, uh, low-key, laid-back guy, and was a New York cop at the time, he's the one who gave me the money to join the union. My brother Jimmy was the one coming home from Vietnam saying, listen, you got to take that class. And <laughs> you got to, and he was always, he always felt I didn't get enough recognition. He was always pushing me. And then, uh, and of course I said, Bo, whose real name was Bill, but there was a bill in the union was always after me to know this is what you're going to do. This is what, this is bullshit about football. Da, 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 da. You know, he'd take me to a concert and see uh, when Chicago was starting out and say, yeah, is, this is musicians and act. This is what you got to do. You know, this is actors. You know, he said, uh, this is, you tell me this is what's in now, whatever, you know, yeah, so yeah. that's out that shock stuff, you know, and it's funny. I mean, that's just an example. Not that it is, but uh, it was. No, but I mean, but, they obviously saw that in you, which is yeah, kept, so kept beautiful. Pushing, yeah. So it's hard to say because there was so many people, but immediate film, because I do think of that. If Who would I thank? I mean, their agents, friends, I mean, guys from school, my friend Brian and, so many people, you know, who became an aide, Gary Epstein, oh, you got me, I got a shot, you should do this, I want you to meet this agent there. So I hate doing that. I have my friend Esther, different people always, uh, who's a producer, uh, right, and then, you know, different people. Uh, and now, actually, I have to say a lot of it is my kids, and now my grandchildren, Yeah. who uh, always tell that's cool, Grandpa, what are you going to do? You should do that. I saw this, or, you know, Granddaughter Katie imitating me on the on my character on the office, you know, yeah. and uh, even the youngest. It, it's it's uh, wow. It, it is really that line. It takes a village, and um, uh, without again, this is not a political statement, but I remember in one of the talks, and he got some heat for it, I think, um, and he was quoting other people when President Obama, who when he was president at the time, spoke about you know, no one got here alone. No one got here. Sure. And you do have the people, the, I can't say their names, but there are people, my brother did the right thing, I did the right thing for him, people just so many. There's some of the people that get interviewed and say, I had no one, I did it on my own. I know. And, or not not me helping them, or even my brother. You just know that there was, as my friend Frankie would say, I can't thank, I just want to thank so many people. And every now and then I thank people and I say, what did I do? And I said, well, you said this to me. And every now and then that's starting to happen to me now. I just yeah. did a film and the uh, guy uh, was one of the producers on it said, we went to <clears throat> Martin. We were doing this film about, I played an owner of a team in 1949 about the first African-American to sign the NBA. And Martin Gigi was a director. And one of the producers said, I saw Mike Starr in the Bronx. So him, I saw him on a Metro North train or a subway and asked his advice. And, <laughs> And he told me to follow my pet, all this stuff. And oh. here I am, and, da, 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 and he's telling everyone, you know, and makes you feel good because, man, I, there are times I'm not perfect with everyone, but I can I can remember different people sloughing me off, saying my first job was in the uh, gym or a health club, and people so I would just do that. You know, they didn't want to tell you, yeah. you know, actors, I mean. And it's especially important with kids, but I try to remember to behave. Sometimes I do too much and it, I think it turns people off like uh, just people on a plane. I think they prefer you to be mysterious. I yeah. think, but they <laughs> say, oh, how'd you do this? And I'm, 
they get disappointed that you're a regular person or whatever, talking to them like they're regular. So, but I, I think, I think it's important um, to take time and really not just answer something glibly with people, but it's hard, you know? Yeah. I mean, what is it all truly? What the heck was I talking about? I don't even know. About about the the village, about being carried. And it was a beautiful answer, I have to say. But it, but truly, it's it, it really you know what is this I all worth? I still owe people money. What are you kidding me? <laughs> what <laughs> is mean, the success all worth? Bailed if... me out, and I bail people out. <laughs> yeah, well, sure, that's what it, what's about. I mean, I always feel it's like you know I've I've had all these accolades. I've been able to achieve quite a bit in my life, and I'm thankful for that. But what is it worth if I can't share it with somebody in some way? Whether it's through advice, whether well, it's that's giving. The truth. A, and and that does it makes me feel better. Not I mean not that like I'm trying to make myself feel better, but it does. It makes me feel better being able oh, no, to ab- support somebody else's ideas and dreams. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. So about feeling better because it does, and it's all those principles and different um, religions you can talk about. They're right there, you know. Or just uh, um, if we um, again not trying to get religious on it, but if uh, you. Jesus is saying it's about forgive people for your own sake. You know what I mean? You know, it's that whole thing. And it's very important um, not to be jealous of other people or bitter. Just even if you think the person is a very terrible person, someone got this, that's, you hear actors a lot of times really lowering the vibe by complaining. And you catch yourself, yeah. you know, you catch yourself. I've caught myself in the past. Uh, <laughs> or there was... I had a big wake-up call one time. My kids were much younger, and someone's on the TV, and they say, are we allowed to like that guy, Dad? Something like that. Or oh, see this no. guy. I said, boy, if that uh, time I've been doing that. Yeah, you know, the reality. It you know, happens. And, and, but you, I remember my friend saying to me, I was, uh, he knew I did something right by someone. He said, well, it makes you feel better. I said, yeah, but that's not the reason. If you do it for that reason, hey, I'm wonderful, and I'm going to get good karma, and I'm going to get this by helping this person. No, if you do it without, if I can put it that way, if it's possible, without thought, it's just because it's the thing to do. Right. It's the it's the right thing or the normal thing. It should be normal to be kind. It shouldn't be hard work. I had some guy ask me that on a flight. He has some uh, radio show in Texas. He said, do you find, you're really nice. Do you find it easier to be nice? Or, I said, yeah, than being a jerk. I can remember the times I've been a jerk or that, whatever hole in the ego, whatever happens where you take something personally and you say something stupid, I go, why the hell did I do that? You know, and, and, or whatever, you know? So it's so important, I think, to stay present, stay on things. And we're in a world that, um, the glory can be fleeting and people can say terrible things to you. People can, Oh, okay. Captain Cranky. I'll tell you a quick thing. We're in the village. Um, the buffet. So Brian Rose with his AKA Captain Cranky and Dr. Rocks. Cause he knows about everything, but he, he said his other identity is Captain Cranky. He says uh, he'll have a, he'll have a restaurant someday. Come on, eat it. But uh, a little shack. But one day we were walking in um, uh, Washington square park. It's about 15, 20 years. Ago. I don't know. We, I was visiting. We always go to the Chinese or an Indian buffet. He finds something like that. And we have this great day we go to museums and he take and I'm walking through the park and there's a guy with his Yankee hat about thirty, nice young guy with his kid and the ball gets away. They're playing up against like a handball wall. So I get it. I run and get it and give it to him. Hey, thanks a lot, Miss. Hey, aren't you hey, you know, and 
hey, boy, you're, you're great. You're this and that. He's telling me all these wonderful things. And then he goes, so are you are you filming anymore? So whatever it was, you uh, work able they say yeah. something like that, yeah, right? Yeah. And my friend Brian, who's extremely polished, and but he has the mixture of both worlds, <laughs> turns, he goes, not unless you have a camera up your ass right now. Because he said, are you filming anything? Are you doing yeah, anything yeah. anymore? Not yeah. unless you have a camera, whatever. And I went, no, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. And went away. And a person doesn't mean to be insulting. It's that old line of, didn't you used to be? Yeah, so no, they, they don't realize and, in those situations, you know, that you know, it's Brian's a backhanded compliment. Me, yeah. Brian's great line to me was, I think the Buddhists call it the middle path. He said, he said, he said, if you buy into the highs, you better get ready to buy into the lows. So if you just stay in the middle, like someone says, you're great. What are all those things about you never graded or as bad as your, you know, best or worst review or sports people. Joe Torres talked about that. And at, that has a lot to do do with being centered uh, all those lines you hear uh i got told someone saying yeah maybe so or whatever or, or is that so that's what it is yeah, yeah. You, you don't you don't want to be rude to people but uh, you know it's i would take stuff why are you on this how come you didn't do this and uh, i would go well because or hey it's not a rule that i have to whatever you know i get like little well, thrown if yeah. you're going through a down time and say who the hell took that personally to get that one? Just say, yeah. oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just you don't have to explain. Yeah, explaining makes it even even that much worse. Yeah, um, what did you do? So did you do this? What do you, oh, did, if you don't mind me asking, how much money did you make on I that? Know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, listen, brother, this has been like an amazing conversation. First of all, I want to thank you for your honesty, so. your time telling us all these stories and sharing your stories and um, you're just such a, a wonderful inspiration. So, so thank you so much for joining us today on real conversations. And I thank you for having me, but I really am. I'm so amazed, impressed. I'm interested in uh, what you said about Boys Town because it's, it's really um, informative to me and, and that's inspirational, but thinking about that, cause it, it's something, I guess the massive uh, public, a lot, people we know about but we don't know that there's still all this great work being done that you were talking about you know and uh and what you're active in doing and i think i I really give you so much respect and art for that you know well thank you very much that's about all the time that we have for this week real conversations is sponsored by boys town and of course the boys town national hotline so if you are in crisis or you need someone just to simply talk to call the boys town free national hotline at 800-448-3000, 800-448-3000. It's a 24-7 crisis resource referral number for kids and their parents, and they're always there to help. If you don't feel like talking, hey, text VOICE to 20121. Someone will get back to you immediately. Thanks for joining me on Real Conversations. I'm Jacob Young. Till next time, love yourselves and love each other.